morning, everyone. As you may know, there is a big difference between who you are and what you do. Unfortunately, very often when you meet someone for the first time, one of the first questions people ask you is, what do you do? Sometimes, unfortunately, even before they even ask you your name or they ask you anything else about you, all the, any of the, the more important details that you would love to share, but for some reason, people stick to a name and an occupation as the primary identity of, of who you are. But we all know, of course, we are much more than these two things. I was crossing a border with my parents once, and first thing you do when you cross the border is you hand over your passport so that they can see your name. And then, of course, the first question the officer asks is, what do you do? I'm a priest. Good. What does your father do? I said, my father's retired. What does your mother do? Well, my mother takes care of my father. My father reminds me of that to this very day. But in all fairness to him, they both take care of each other. But who they are is much more than what they do. There's a whole variety of things that make all of us who we are. And it's not primarily in our activities, not just keeping busy to pass the day. The same, of course, can be said of the church. When we think of the church, many, th many people think of many things. Maybe, first of all, people think of a building. Say, we want to build a church. We want to fix a church. We want to decorate a church. We want to have a nice church. We can have a church that's local, regional, or even around the entire country or the world. Or we can even think of a church as something, uh, as a historical organization, and even, we might even think of what the church does. For example, the Catholic Church does a lot of things around the world. Schools, universities, hospitals, shelters, social institutions, working to address poverty, immigration, human trafficking, and a lot of social and environmental issues. Therefore, the Catholic Church does a lot when you think of either the church or the Catholic Church in specific, in specific, specifically. The Catholic Church, in fact, educates more people, runs more hospitals, shelters, healthcare facilities, than any other group or government around the world. That's, though, the answer to the question, what do you do? And although that may be impressive for us when we're talking to our friends or even something to be proud of, that's not what the church is. We can have twice as many hospitals, twice as many schools, twice as much social work, but that would not even scratch the surface of what the church is. So therefore, if you were to ask about the church, what is the church primarily? First and foremost, beyond its title, its activity, its location, its size, its looks, what is the church? And if you look at the New Testament, you find an answer, a simple answer, but then a more developed answer. The very simple answer that you should memorize or think of, the first thing that should come to your mind, is that the church is the body of Christ, the body of Christ. 
Now, sometimes people think of this in a very abstract way. It's not just poetic. It's not just, yeah, you know, in a very abstract way we're the body of Christ. No, it's actually very concrete. St. Paul talks about the concreteness of this imagery in his letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 12, and then also continuing that chapter. For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Now he talks about the members of the church as forming the body of Christ. Then he goes on in verses 27 and 28 and say, Now you, you, not only the Corinthians, but all of you, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed for the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, then healers, helpers, administrators, speakers in various kinds of tongues. So these two elements of this one image are very important. That the church is the body of Christ, and that body has members, and that you are the members of the church. That is the first thing and the foremost thing you should think of when you think of the church. Today we celebrate um, the Sunday of the First Ecumenical Council at Nicaea in the year 325, on this Sunday between Ascension and Pentecost. So Christ ascends to heaven. He spent 40 days with the disciples, teaching them, confirming them in their faith, and then ascending into heaven, but then promising to send the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we focus on a special in a special way on the church, on us as members of the church, and, in the, and the elements of the church as being connected to Christ himself. After Constantine stopped the persecution of Christianity, he, got, he gathered what was known as, and still is known, as an ecumenical council. And what that means is the bringing of the entire household together to meet, to discuss the details of not only the name of the church, but what are the essential qualities of the church and what is the teaching of the church. It began a clear definition of all those things in Nicaea in the year 325. And in fact, the creed that we recite every single Sunday was began, first part of it was began in the Council of Nicaea. So that in itself points to the kind of church we belong to. We belong to a historical kind of church that does not create doctrines and does not come up with new teachings, but is, his, but is rooted historically in ecumenical councils and teachings that have been passed on for several thousands of years. So the ecumenical council focused on the Nicene Creed, set the date of Easter, and began church laws. However, you need to know both as you need to know both who you are and what you do and how those are connected, we need to get into a little more detail on the nature of the church as the body of Christ. There are three specific elements that the epistle and the gospel focuses on that are really crucial elements of understanding the church, not only as the body of Christ and us as members, that's the general principle, but what are the realities, the day-to-day -day realities that affect and, and identify the nature of the church? The readings today, and also if you read the Acts of the Apostles, you'll see this repeated, is that the church is a message, a movement, and a mission. 
a message, a movement, and a mission. Think of these three together. Number one, it is a message. It is a message regardless of the size. If you think of the early church, what was the size? It's actually pretty close to zero. After the resurrection of Jesus, everyone hid. Everyone went behind closed doors. The message, though, was still there. Jesus has risen from the dead. Unfortunately, no one had quite grasped what that meant. So there is a message. There's a very clear message that is, in a sense, not only, not, I don't want to say separate in the sense of not relating to us, but it is present regardless of whether we accept it or know it or not. And that message is salvation in Christ. And that message needs to be discerned as an objective reality, as something that exists, and as something that Jesus did historically, not only in Jerusalem by, by dying and rising from the dead, but what God has done for us in all message. There is a lot to that message. I will not um, run through the entire message. That's the whole point of reading something like the Catechism in the Bible. But it's important to know that there is a message, a message of salvation in Christ. But then it's also important to know that there was a movement. That message took flesh in real people's lives, the body of Christ, the people, all of you. And what's amazing, when you read the Gospel of Luke, and then you right away start with the Acts of the Apostles, you see how much the Apostles were filled with new life, and that they began to apply the message to a particular movement. There was a reality that was received and lived, if I were to summarize what I mean by that. And finally, there is a mission. There is a reality lived that goes beyond itself. It's not just for a closed group of people, a special club where you need initiation that you get into it and no one else is to know what it is. A message, a movement, a mission. Let's look at these three with regard to our readings for today. Acts chapter 20 verses 28 to 30. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with the blood of his own son. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. What is the message that St. Luke emphasizes? That the Holy Spirit has entrusted you with a ministry in this church. That the church of God was created, was established, and it's a reality that took place with the blood of, of Jesus Christ, with the blood of his own son. There's a message, specific message. As I said, regardless of how many had accepted it or go on to accept it. But then that message moved on to create a movement. There were places of gatherings. We have a lot of names in the epistles, the New Testament, the Gospels, that we don't even know where they are. Um, some of them we do, some of the names have been changed, but there are people, places, and a structured reality of life. There was a movement, there was a hierarchy of deacons, priests, bishops, and lay people as found even in the Acts of the Apostles, the earliest days. Acts chapter 20, verse 16 says, For Paul had decided to set past, to sail past Ephesus, so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, 
or he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Why was that important? Because he went to join the community. He went to join the church from his mission. He came back to be reunited with his community. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And that church had, there were structures. And then he warns them, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. In other words, within this movement, there are clear teachings. There is a need for us not only to pray, but to continue to learn and to grow in what we know about our faith. But that never stops there. The Bible reminds us that there is also a mission. If, you, if Jesus did something, but no one, no one appreciates it, then it dies. If Jesus did something, we learn, we spend our whole day and nights learning about it, but then do nothing, that also, that message also dies. Therefore, there is a mission. St. Paul says, In all things I have shown you that by, by so toiling, one must help the weak. Not consider helping the weak and the needy. Not consider thinking of doing something, but one must. There was a mission beyond the reality of the group. And why? He takes us right back to the message. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's worth also looking at this pattern, spending a few more minutes, of how this is also seen in actually much clearer ways in the Gospel of John. Because Jesus himself is speaking. Sometimes we, it's all, we should also realize that we should perhaps reverse the reading of the gospel before the epistle because the gospel took place first. But there's a reason for that, which I won't get into now. The message in the gospel. Jesus, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son and the Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him power over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. A very, very packed statement. statement. Jesus is glorified, how? By his miracles, by his teachings, by his fame? No. He talks about his glory as taking place in his death and resurrection. That's the message, the message. Gave him power over all flesh to give eternal life to all of us. And then he says this, Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So we keep our eyes on the message to keep knowing Christ. But then that action of Jesus and Jesus' wish created a movement, the church. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. And in this sentence, not just men, male, but in the people you have given me, those around him, those who formed the early community and, in a sense, the early church, that they have kept your word. Another nuance in the gospel. Part of the movement is to reflect on his word, to keep his word, to live that word. And then the mission. And now I am no more in the world, but they are in the world, 
and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. A very important nuance and last part of this message, movement, mission theme, especially around this time of year where we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus, 40 days of post-resurrection. Jesus ascends into heaven, but he hasn't quite sent, he hasn't sent the Holy Spirit yet. So what is going on? Jesus is, is shifting the focus from him, from what he has done to his power in you and what you need to do, what we need to do as a group. First, you as individuals to grow in your faith and to be immersed in what it means to be children of the, of the crucified and risen Christ, but then we come together to live that message, movement, and mission. The message, movement, and mission continue while Jesus is not physically here because we are the church. And then Jesus says in verse 13, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Is this a challenge? Absolutely. Is it difficult? Absolutely. Do we feel at times we don't want to live our faith? Absolutely. But what does Jesus remind us? He is with us, and his joy is in us. So today, as we prepare for Pentecost, the sending of the Holy Spirit to give us strength, to give us new life, and as we continue to remember that the foundation of everything we do is uh, rootedness in the mission of his death and resurrection, we remind ourselves of who we are as men and women of faith, forming an essential part of the church and forming the church. Therefore, when we think of the church, our goal today is to not just think of a beautiful place, not just think of beautiful people, not just even think of beautiful activities that we may, we may do because we are here as a church, but think of all these things together. Christ's work, Christ's salvation that led to a movement and that from here leads us into a very clear and defined 